4: we <laughs>
5: March 8th, 2020. I'm sorry, y'all. It's a April 8th, 2021. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Day nine of the Derek Chauvin murder trial. She's more damning testimony. Folks, three minutes. Remnant. Remember that time. Dr. Martin Tobin, a pulmonologist who describes how George Floyd died. Trust me, when you hear what he had to say, wow, stunning. Sean Diddy Combs, founder of Revolt TV, blasting corporate America, especially General Motors, saying it's time to pay up to black-owned media. We'll show you that letter. President Joe Biden announced executive actions on gun control today. We'll show you what he had to say and talk to Dr. George's Benjamin about why gun violence is a public health crisis. In voting news, which is the latest, was happening in Georgia, Texas, and Kentucky. And in Georgia, Governor Brian Kemp says if voters get hungry while standing in line to vote, call Uber Eats. Really, dude. In Kentucky, voting laws are being expanded unlike in other Republican controlled states and voting rights groups are asking corporations to do more to fight voter suppression laws. We'll have all of those details. Plus a new voter poll commissioned by the Black Futures Lab shows black voters have high opinions of the Biden-Harris administration as well as high expectations for results on critical issues. Lisa Garza who runs the Black Futures Lab will join us. Plus we'll tell you about the tragic death of Pamela Turner a pregnant black woman, shot by police in Bel Air, Texas, a suburb of Houston. Attorney Ben Crump will join us with those details. Plus, we really need it. First of all, there's a couple of things we're gonna do. We're gonna have a crazy ass white person segment, a state legislator in South Carolina. Y'all won't even believe what this fool had to say about black people and black families how we can't hold jobs. When I read for y'all what this white man said, y'all gonna trip out. And we might as well call this crazy ass black people. Wait till I show you what a so-called black civil rights attorney said on Fox News, how Jim Crow and racism has been gone since 1964. Yeah. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's
6: got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is,
5: Shocking testimony today in the trial of ex-Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. Chauvin. It focused on the cause of George Floyd's death. Prosecutors called a respiratory expert and a forensic t- toxicology expert to the stand to adjudicate George Floyd's demise. Folks, this is uh, stunning. What took place in the courtroom today? Watch this.
2: So we see here that he reaches a level of zero of oxygen at twenty, twenty-five, forty-one. And so at that point, there's not an ounce of oxygen left in his body, in his entire body at 20, twenty, twenty-five, forty-one.
7: And so
8: was the knee then lifted off of his neck at the point there was no more oxygen in his body?
2: No, the knee remained on the neck for another three minutes and two seconds after we reached the point where there was not an ounce of oxygen left in the body.
8: Thank you, doctor. Have you formed an opinion to a reasonable degree of medical certainty as to what the cause is uh, or was for the low level of oxygen in Mr. Floyd?
2: Yes, I have.
8: Would you tell us what that is?
2: The cause of the low level of oxygen was shallow breathing. Small breaths, small tidal volumes, shallow breaths that weren't able to carry the air through his lungs down to the essential areas of the lungs that get oxygen into the blood and get rid of the carbon dioxide. That's the alveoli at the bottom of the lung. Officer Chauvin's uh, knee is coming in and that's compressing in against his side as well. So the ability to expand his left cho- uh, left side here is enormously impaired and also you're seeing that the size of the chain between the two, the right side and the left side, is very short. So he his whole left arm is also being pulled over, and so it's preventing him also from expanding the right side. I've been focusing on the bucket handle and the pump handle on the left, but you can also see here that these are impaired, his ability to expand his chest and of course the key factor you must keep that isn't kind of in a sense seen here in one sense is the street the street is what is having a huge effect because he's jammed down against the street and so the street is playing a major role in preventing him from expanding his chest as we discussed you're seeing a more clear view here how it's been really rammed into the back of his back there's just no way he's going to be able to expand that. But with this, the left image, you see the finger on the street, then over on the right image, you see his knuckle against the tire. And to most people, this doesn't look terribly significant, but to a physiologist, this is extraordinarily significant because this tells you that he has used up his resources and he is now literally trying to breathe with his fingers and knuckles because when you begin to breathe you begin to breathe with your ribcage and your diaphragm the next thing you recruit after that is your sternum muscle which is the big muscle in your neck and then when those are wasted up then you're re- relying on these types of muscles like your fingers to try and stabilize your whole right side because he's totally dependent on getting air into the right side. So he's using his fingers and his knuckles against the street to try and crank up the right side of his chest. This is his only way to try and get air to get into the right lung. Uh, Do you have an opinion to
8: a reasonable degree of medical certainty as to whether a person who had none of those
2: pre-existing health conditions, a healthy person? would have died under the same circumstances as Mr. Floyd? Yes. A healthy person subjected to what Mr. Floyd was subjected to would have died as a result of what he was subjected to.
7: So Mr. Floyd's ratio is, is roughly just a little bit below the median ratio in DUI. So in post-mortem cases, we know uh, fentanyl concentrations can be much higher than norfentanyl fentanyl concentrations uh, because Frequently, these are the, uh, these are deaths due to fentanyl. Other drugs may be present, and there could be other reasons for the death. It doesn't say these are all fentanyl intoxications. But just looking at it as a whole, with a large amount of data, this is what we observe.
5: Joining us right now is attorney Ben Crump, of course, who represents uh, the uh, several family members of George Floyd's family. Uh, ben, this was a, it was it was amazing to listen to what the doctor said, walking through this thing in a very methodical way. Um, so, so that was first. But the second thing then is the prosecutors have been extremely deliberate how they are walking this thing down with the emotional testimony in week one, the, uh, setting up the week with the officers and then ending the week here um, with Uh, this particular um, uh, doctor yesterday as well, your assessment of how this has been going so far?
9: Well, I think it's extremely compelling what uh, Keith Ellison and his team have been doing, and they have been very strategic, as you said, Roland Martin, doing the lay witness, the emotional witnesses at the very beginning of the trial, then talking about the use of force expert that I thought was most compelling because you had the police chief and other police officers for the first time that we've seen in a profound way come out from behind the blue wall of silence and tell the truth, hopefully setting a new precedence in America. But the day was really, uh, I think, the nail in Derek Chauvin's defense rolling. When you had these expert witnesses tell us uh, so convincingly what was the cause of death that was consistent, Roland Martin, with what we saw the first time we saw that video where George Floyd was tortured for nine minutes and 29 seconds. They corroborated what we saw in the video with the medical science. And so I think for any juror sitting there, it is more than enough evidence to hold Derek Chauvin criminally liable for killing George Floyd.
5: I think when you begin to examine, um, again, this very methodical uh, nature, uh, we've watched the defense really be cornered and trapped, if you will, by having actual police officers, even on the force, testify against Derek Chauvin.
9: Yeah, and and it was riveting, Tess, and I don't know why it still is riveting. That's what police should do in every case, but we never see it. Roland, you covered Laquan McDonald's case a lot as well, where the young brother was shot 16 times in the back. And even in that case, the police chief and the department still said that it was a justified shooting and killing of that young black man. So this is really a powerful and unusual testimony that we saw happen in the Derek Chauvin trial regarding the death of George Floyd. And uh, just hear that black police chief really go and so matter-of-factly say that this was absolutely unnecessary. What Derek Chauvin did was just powerful
10: testimony.
5: The um, obviously the defense is not an opportunity to present their case. This is all on the prosecution right now. Um, but it, it, but just your assessment of how this has gone thus far in terms of how they have presented and laid this case out. How is the Floyd family feeling uh, about what they're seeing and hearing each day in the, in these uh, last nine days?
9: Yeah, and, and Roland, they're praying a lot. You have met this family there from your home state, and they are cautiously optimistic. I know Attorney Monique Presley and I talked to them some today about why we feel that the state is doing a good job And we know we've been doing this long enough, Roland Martin, to know we can't take a conviction for granted. But this is the best prosecution of a police officer uh, charged with killing a black person in America that I have seen in my professional career. So I'm very grateful to Attorney Keith Ellison, uh, the first black attorney general in the state of Minnesota, who's a Democrat. And when you compare that to Breonna Taylor, Daniel Cameron, this uh, black attorney general who's a Republican and how he did everything in his power to exonerate the police, it goes to show you that bl- black voters matter and elections have consequences.
5: Well, let's talk about this case in Texas where um, on her 46th birthday, the family of an unarmed black woman was shot and killed by a Baytown police officer in May of 2019. They filed a federal law- civil rights lawsuit today. Uh, Pamela Turner encountered Officer Juan Dela Cruz, uh, and she was in emotional distress. Dela Cruz was indicted by Harris County Grand Jury in September 2020, more than a year after Turner's death. He's charged with felony aggravated assault by a public servant. Uh, ben, you put a video out, uh, and this took so this took place in Baytown, Texas, or Bel Air, Texas. Baytown, Texas. Okay, Baytown, Texas. And so, uh, uh, so, so Baytown, folks, uh, is uh, east of Houston. Uh, if so, if you're traveling up towards Beaumont, Texas, towards Louisiana, uh, you would go through Baytown. I know it very well. I have lots of relatives who live there. Uh, and uh, this it was, I was, I saw a video that you put out on Instagram describing how heinous this is. I, I want to play that and then talk about it. So, here we go.
9: If you were outraged, when you saw the video of how police tragically killed George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, then you should be equally outraged when you see the video of how the police tragically killed Pam Turner, an unarmed black woman in Baytown, Texas.
5: It is shocking and stunning, Ben Crump, to watch that video and to think that his only way of containing her was to shoot and kill her? Yeah, it it is just
9: so outrageous, Roland, when you think about it, Attorney Devin Jacob and I filed a federal civil rights wrong for death lawsuit, and it goes to this disrespect for black women. I mean, to shoot her down like a dog when he could have did any number of things Monique Preston and I talked about how he could have created distance. He could have called for backup. He could have got behind cars. He could have yelled verbal commands. He could have did any number of things uh, other than fire, five shots, hitting uh, Pamela Turner three times, one in the face, one in the chest, one in the stomach, and this unarmed black woman who was on her back screaming, I'm pregnant. I mean, Roland... If you are outraged by George Floyd, we gotta get outraged uh, in justice for Pamela Turner. Breonna Taylor's mother, uh, Tamika Palmer, came to Houston to stand with uh, Chelsea Rubin, the 23-year-old daughter of Pamela Turner, who has pretty much been fighting a lot alone by herself. So I'm so grateful, Roland, that you're covering this matter because we need everybody to stand with our black women we gotta protect our black women. They cannot be killed like this and nobody say a word about it.
5: And this t- this took place in 2019? Two years ago? It, it, two years
9: ago, May 13th. And so we're gonna march on Baytown on May 13th if you're free. We would love to have you come back home to help lead the effort because I do think this is gonna continue to grow like Brianna Taylor, and it's one of those things where Brianna's mother is going to come. We're going to show the world that her life matters, and get this, Roland Martin. He's still employed by the Baytown Police Department.
5: He is still a cop.
9: He is still a cop.
5: Was he put, put on towards. Was he put on desk duty?
9: Well, they they have him, uh, I guess, on desk duty or whatever. But they have not terminated his employment yet. And when you think about the disrespect between black women uh, and what they get, when George Floyd video went public how he was killed, in 90 hours they terminated all the police officers. I asked at the press conference when we were there with Tamika Palmer, how long did it take for them to fire the police officers after they killed Breonna Taylor? And she told me it took nine months for them to fire the police officer after they killed her daughter who was in her own apartment. And now it's almost two years, and Baytown, Texas, still hasn't fired the police officer.
5: That is absolutely shocking and stunning, and so certainly uh, keep us abreast of the developments in there. Uh, And you said there's going to be a public demonstration on May 13th? May 13th, the two-year anniversary. Okay. All right, then. and, and,
9: And also, Roland, the trial, the criminal trial is set to begin on May 25th, which, ironically is the one-year anniversary of the killing of George Floyd.
5: Wow. Uh, That is... um, uh, And also, uh, the officer was indicted. What was the charge? It was uh,
9: assault by a public uh, officer, like a manslaughter charge, not a murder charge. Not
5: a murder charge. Right. Wow. Ben Crump, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, Thank you so very much. And, And let me say this here. Um and Ben, will I have you? Uh, I need people to understand Ben Crump does not try criminal cases. Uh, I I need to say that, Ben, because I get all these people and they comment on YouTube and on social media. Uh Ben Crump keeps losing these cases. You're not the prosecutor. (laughs) The attorney for the family cannot prosecute cases. You can't indict anybody. You you can file civil, you can file a civil lawsuit. You can negotiate settlements for families, but you don't get to prosecute anybody. Exactly. The Seventh Amendment of the
9: Constitution say all the private law you can do is file a lawsuit for compensation for wrong for death. It's the Tenth Amendment. The prosecutors are who they should be upset and holding accountable but, Roland, thank you for always uh, giving a voice to educate us and engage us, and most importantly, empower our people. You are so necessary to the culture.
5: Uh, ben, I certainly appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. We'll talk to you soon. God bless. Uh, man, that uh, th- that video there is shocking, stunning uh, to sit there and witness. And the fact that it took place two years ago and just finding out about it. Uh, is even more uh, stunning as well, uh, just unbelievable. Let me go to my pound. Dr. Greg Carr is chair, Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University. Amisha Cross, political analyst and Democratic strategist, and Brittany Lee Lewis, she's political analyst. Glad to have you both. Um, th- th- Brittany, to to see that video, that's a, pre- that's a pregnant black woman. And I, I keep going back to this issue of what, what, sending police off, the woman's in emotional distress. You, we keep sending cops, people who, who are trained to kill people to resolve these, these mental issues. This is what happens and you get these white cops whose first instinct is, oh, I can't control this black woman. Boom, 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 you're dead
11: let me let me just say first off I'm still shaken um by watching the film like I'm the, I'm almost to the point of, of tears because it's it, they they truly do not view us as humans that is and I, and I think that's the thing that hurts me the most they do not view us as humans and I think this goes back to the bigger question right um you know if this trial if that video that we just watched, um, if all of the years, years, the decades, the centuries of police brutality and, and and Black death at the hands of the police doesn't teach us anything, it's that um, police training is not a full-on solution to this problem. We can't train them into viewing us as humans. We can't train them into respecting us. Um, it's a band-aid to a much more complex issue, and I know I always say this on the show, um, but again, we have to go back to the roots of policing and why policing exists in the first place. Um, it is certainly not to protect protect and serve us as Black folks. Um, and I hope that we can continue to demand to you know, defund the police for this very reason. Because like you said earlier, this is not... Not only do they not view us as humans, um, but they're also, even if they are to stay in place in the current you know, in the current way that they are, you know, they are not trained to deal with medical emergencies. They are not trained to deal, um, at least not adequately. And they shouldn't be dealing with these issues because they don't have the necessary skill Um, so I, I pray that we continue to push for defunding the police and thinking of, of new ways, um, to envision public safety.
5: Um, great car. Um, It is indescribable to, to have to talk about these type of videos. There are people who say, yo, we shouldn't show them. But, I'm, I'm, but too, much of, too much of me is like Mamie Teal Mobley. No, America needs to see what they did to my baby because if we act as if, no, 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 don't show it, that's just too much. No, no, it needs to be seared in the minds of America. Agreed. Um, I agree with what you said, uh, Brittany.
3: Uh, We have to now not rethink, but really think about public safety. We are not part of the public. Not only are we not human, We are not living creatures. We are a threat to be neutralized. Uh, This bastard, La Cruz, shouldn't be comfortable in his bed at night. He shouldn't be comfortable on the job. He shouldn't be comfortable going back and forth to the job. He should be living in the same fear uh, for his life that we live in. At that point, we could talk about a common framework. There is no common framework. Black people are to be killed. Black men are to be killed. Black women are to be killed. Billie Holiday's birthday was yesterday. She was handcuffed to the bed that she died in by the goddamn federal government, agents of the police, because she was not a human being. Uh, Pamela Turner cannot receive justice. Justice would be at least restoring her life and it'd be beautiful, wouldn't it be, if we could just exchange De La Cruz's life for hers. Every time you pull your taser out, you punk. You get tased yourself. Every time you shoot, empty your clip into a black woman, those bullets go into your body. What we saw in Minnesota today, we can't be distracted. And later on we'll talk about voting rights, but but the parallel is this. Uh, What Nelson, Eric Nelson is counting on, the defense attorney for Chauvin and his team, they're counting on one person in that jury who does not look at black people as human. So while we are all, as human beings, bowled over by Dr. Tobin's uh, description today, that all the breath had left, George, all the oxygen had left George Floyd's body, and that cracker kneeled on him for another three minutes and two seconds. As we heard the testimony yesterday of all the experts that said this isn't a question of meth or anything else that killed uh, George Floyd. Understand that the logic at play, whether it be there in Texas or in Minnesota, is this: Is there one on the jury who will f- who will say and agree with Nelson's cocktail of meth? Rage, criminal. He's not a. He's a big criminal, and there was a mob threatening me. So that they say, like that cop shooting the sister. You know what? You had to do it, man, because these are dangerous things. This there is no there is no common framework of understanding. So we until we understand that, until we understand that. And showing these videos maybe gets us a little step closer, but we then have to change the language to interpret what those videos are showing us. Until we understand that, we will continue to bark up the wrong tree in this country and start talking. I can't believe it. I can't believe. No. Not only should you believe it, you should expect it because this is the thing that this criminal enterprise was set up to do since the day that these people showed up on these shores and did it to the Native Americans.
5: Amisha, um, we we talk about Reckoning. We talk about where we are. We dealt with people who, oh no, 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 don't say defund because, you know, we don't want to get uh, the white folks riled up. This is where we have to be so hardcore that we say, no, 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 we will not stop. We, 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 we will not stop. I, I mean, Sunday was the 53rd anniversary of the murder of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I've interviewed Reverend Jackson, Ambassador Andrew Young, Bill Lucy, Reverend Dr. James Lawson, all the individuals who were there, who were in Memphis. And what is still stunning to me is to hear them say that even as they sat in room 306 of the Lorraine Motel, hours earlier, he had been murdered their focus was, we, we cannot stop. We will not stop. John Lewis told me he didn't grieve for another three months. What I'm saying is to this generation, we got to ratchet it even more, put even more pressure. We saw, we saw those protests last year. Yo, we can't let America sleep. Um, I'm sitting here. So so when Ben said and I'm, I'm looking now um, and again, folks, th- this is what happens when um, you don't have to seek uh, permission. Um, I'm looking here. Give me a second. Um, yeah, I can go ahead and say it. Uh, we'll be in Baytown May 13th to broadcast that march. We'll be there. I don't have to ask anybody else's opinion. We have to keep this stuff front and center because MSNBC is not gonna do it. CNN is not gonna do it. Fox News is not gonna do it. We have no choice but to continue to press and press and press.
1: No, you're absolutely correct, Roland. And to your to your point just a few moments ago, our mere existence as Black people in this country causes white people to be riled up. We don't have to be doing anything but living and raising our kids. And at the end of the day, white people are going to be riled up. Let us not, you know, get highfalutin' and actually want to have rights as ensured by you know us being born under the red, white, and blue right here in these United States, and actually push to have our civil rights recognized. That's us taking a bridge too far. I feel like what we're seeing right now, and I hate the term racial reckoning. I really do, because racial reckoning is thrown about in this country whenever the rest of the globe sees us and asks, "What the hell are you doing, United States? How do you actually police the entire rest of the globe about, you know, uh, about having these anti-democratic standards about?" Um, Their humanitarian, their failure to actually recognize humanity. Meanwhile, in your own backyard, you are treating black people worse than dogs. You are holding your knee on people. You are holding your knee on the neck of a man. And we're watching this trial continue to go forward, where we've heard from a pulmonologist who made it very clear in no uncertain terms that the knee on the neck of George Floyd, the cutting off of his oxygen, was what caused his death. Not any level of drugs, not any past drug history, nothing in that day would have caused his death, other than the knee on the neck. And he made it also clear that it could have been you or I or anyone else who was an otherwise healthy person with no prior history of drug abuse whatsoever, and had a sustained knee been on our neck in the exact same framework for over nine minutes, we would not have made it either. So I think that what we're seeing here is basically, again, a televised process of brutality against African-Americans. You know, I would hope that we see jurors that understand what's going on. I don't have a very strong hope for it, but I do hope that we see jurors that understand what's going on. But also that African Americans of all ages aren't lulled away by this and have full recognition that yes, corporations are signing these pledges. Yes, we're seeing some movement by them in terms of heralding Black Lives Matter, but it's gonna be more than that. These same corporations play this song and dance every few years after there is a, a, a major issue um, where a African-American, unarmed African-American dies. Then we watch as soon as it's no longer at the helm of MSNBC or it's no longer played on loop on CNN. When those stations no longer care, guess what? that outside world no longer cares either. But we still have these issues facing our community every single day. So I do thank, you know, our, our, our forebears when it comes to the civil rights movement, our forebearers who were able to continue to carry that, to carry that lantern, to continue to force change, even though they watched, you know, the folks who watched Martin Luther King die, who marched with him and then sat in the room and had those conversations and were able to somehow keep their mourning within themselves, but continue to do the work that is worth doing. That's the work that we all have to do and all have to be invested in. Because as we can see on a daily basis, our very humanity is at risk because the greater society, the white society that continues to ignore our existence and our existence is not only humans, but people that are worthy of being treated equally. That's not something that they're willing to do. And that's not something that the majority of them are actually willing to even stand for. Give you a little, but not too much. But if you start talking about equity in general, no, because that puts you on the same framework and the same platform as them. And they don't want that. And they will fight to the end to eradicate it. That's that's the reason we saw the January 6th insurrection. That's the reason why people won't let go of a lot of these theories that they call Trumpism that existed long before Trump, but actually were said out loud (laughs) during his presidency. It's not going away anytime too soon. And I think that we have to be invested in this long haul fight because that's what we're in for.
5: Folks, um, look, I'm I'm making the commitment, we'll be there. Uh, Pamela Turner, May 13th, the protest that will take place in Baytown, Texas, uh, which is uh, not far from Houston at all. Uh, We want to see as many of you there. I will get details uh, from Ben Crump uh, and others uh, with regards uh, to uh, all of this information to pro- provide it for you. Uh, we will make our way down there to broadcast that uh, as well, because again, we need to be able to keep the focus on that. Uh, we'll also find out if that trial is going to be broadcast uh, like we're seeing the George Floyd trial uh, right now. Uh, and if so, uh, we're gonna make sure that we carry it right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, gotta go to a break, we come back. We're gonna talk about vote the gun control in this country. Uh, shocking and stunning. Uh, even as President Joe Biden today spoke about uh, gun rights, what ended up happening? Mass mass shooting in South Carolina. I understand right now, uh, I saw the notice about an hour ago, mass shooting in Bryan, Texas, uh, which is about 90 minutes from Houston, Bryan College Station, Texas. And so all of those things are there. So uh, we will discuss uh, that next. Don't forget, folks, to support what we do, the dollars that you give to support Roller Martin Unfiltered allows for us to be able uh, to, at the drop of a hat, fly to places like Baytown or travel to other places to report on these various stories. Uh, please join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, you make, make this possible uh, for us to do what we do. Cash App is dollar sign RM Unfiltered, paypal.me forward slash R Martin Unfiltered, Venmo.com is uh, Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingusmartin.com or rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. You can send a money order to New Vision Media Inc., 1625 K Street Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C. Uh, and so again, we want to be able uh, to uh, fly our staff there to do the reporting on this. Um, we've got no billionaires who fund this show. We've got no millionaires who fund this show. Uh, regular, ordinary folk. Uh, do that. And we certainly appreciate that. And so uh, we ask for your assistance. If you uh, right now, uh, it's uh, more than 4,500 of you on YouTube. Our goal is to seek uh, 50 bucks a year uh, from 20,000 of our followers. Um, that's uh, $4.13 a month, uh, 13 cents a day, uh, $4.19 19 a month, uh, 13 cents a day uh and if you don't have that fine what we take one dollar five dollar doesn't matter uh more we appreciate appreciate every dollar as given to us and so we appreciate all of that folks got to go to a break we'll be back on roller martin unfiltered in just a moment to me this is what you're describing is exactly what urban leagues around the country should be doing what other black organizations should be doing again maximizing our capacity or maximizing our infrastructure actually build
10: capacity yes yeah no we have to build on what we have because the sad part is individually in many cases we don't have it but collectively we do and really that should be the point of black organizations how do we take our collective capacity put it together and then use that to really make a difference and you know quite frankly sadly You know, I haven't been doing this since I was 16. We're not nearly where I thought we should be. And that's why I said this year and going forward and the rest, we really have to do some bigger, bolder things. Like we merged with a legacy organization named Grace Hill. The other part is we have too many not-for-profits. We have, you know, quite frankly, too much need for back office and infrastructure and PR. And we need to come together. There you go. Black TV does matter, dang it.
5: Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. Gun control is a major issue in this country. America is a violent, violent nation. Let's just cut to the chase. This nation loves its guns, but what must we do about it? Earlier today, President Joe Biden unveiled his plan designed to begin revamping federal gun policy. Here's what he had to
7: say. And today I'm announcing several initial steps my administration is taking to curb this epidemic of gun violence. Much more need be done, but the first first want to rein in the proliferation of so-called ghost guns. These are guns that are homemade, built from a kit that include directions on how to finish the firearm. You can go buy the kit. They have no serial numbers. So when they show up at a crime scene, they can't be traced and the buyers aren't required to pass a background check to buy the kit to make the gun. Consequently, anyone anyone from a criminal to a terrorist can buy this kit in as little as 30 minutes put together a weapon. You know, I want to see these kits treated as firearms under the Gun Control Act, which is going to require that the seller and manufacturers make the key parts with serial numbers and run background checks on the buyers when they walk in to buy that package.
5: The Justice Department has 30 days to come up with those ghost gun regulations. The Justice Department also has 60 days to issue a proposed rule to clarify when a device marketed as a stabilizing brace effectively turns a pistol into a short barrel rifle subject to the National Firearms Act's requirements. They have 60 days to publish model red flag legislation for states. Red flag laws allow family members or law enforcement to petition for a court order temporarily barring people in crisis from accessing firearms if they present a danger to themselves or to others. The Biden administration is also investing in evidence-based community violence interventions. Community violence interventions are proven strategies for reducing gun violence in urban communities through tools other than incarceration. The Justice Department will issue an annual report on firearms trafficking. Biden also announced his nomination of David Chipman, a former special agent with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms and Explosives, to lead the ATF. Here's what Vice President Kamala Harris had to say about President Biden's gun control initiatives.
6: Time and again, as progress has stalled, we've all asked, what are we waiting for? Because we aren't waiting for a tragedy. I know that. We've had more tragedy than we can bear. We aren't waiting for solutions either, because the solutions exist. They already exist. People on both sides of the aisle want action. Real people on both sides of the aisle want action. So all that is left is the will and the courage to act and President Joe Biden has the will and the courage to act
5: all right folks of course gun violence is a leading cause of premature deaths in the US guns kills more than 38,000 people and caused nearly 85,000 injuries per year just to understand how serious, again, just today in Bryan, Texas, one person shot and killed, four others critically wounded uh, when a suspect opened fire inside of a custom cabinet manufacturer. Uh, not only that, what also took place um, last night, which is just stunning, uh, ex-NFL player Philip Adams, he killed five people in South Carolina before taking his own life, killed his doctor, 70 years old. Uh, Dr. Robert Leslie killed his wife, Barbara, who was 69 and killed two of their grandchildren, ages five and nine, and an air conditioning technician, James Lewis. Joining us right now is Dr. George C. Benjamin, the executive director of American Public Health Association, who believes that gun violence is indeed a public health issue. Doc, explain that to people. Okay, if we declared a public health crisis, a public health issue, what does that even mean?
0: Oh, well, listen, if it hurts people, it kills people, it's ours. And we think that there are ways that we can do to both make the firearm itself safer, right? Um, make people safer with their guns and make the environment safer with guns and people in it. So let's take, for example, the, the number of people who've picked up a firearm, thought the gun was unloaded and the and the firearm goes off. They didn't intend to hurt anybody. They certainly were trying to kill themselves, but the gun went off. But you know, there are things that you can put on a firearm to let you know that there's still a round in the chamber. You know, even when you move the clip, there can still be a round in the chamber. You know, we can make we can personalize guns. Right now, nobody can use your cell phone um, without uh, you know putting a fingerprint or a face print on it. Well, you can do that with a gun. It's complicated. There are wristbands you can you can put on your wrist to prevent that firearm from firing. And the technology is not necessarily perfect, but it can certainly reduce the risk. Firearm training, making sure that people um, get licensed to get a firearm, making sure that if you have a domestic um, violence um, of, offense, that the firearm can be temporarily removed from your home because that make, knows that can make a um, put you at higher risk of putting your loved one at higher risk. Look, we kill the people that we know, we overestimate the safety of firearms, and we underestimate the danger, and that's the real challenge that we have. But we think through a public health approach, we can do this. Look, little background checks—that's another.
5: So, so, so here's the question: um, as as we unpack this thing, as as we try to sort of lay out in terms of what do we do and, 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 and where do we start. Um, you, you have powerful lobbying groups in this country who they flat out don't want to see what you talked about. They don't want to see anything. They want to operate where it don't matter. We could just keep having as many guns as possible.
0: Well, you know, we know that we have more and more guns in fewer and fewer hands, first of all. We have more guns in our nation than any other um, nation on the planet. And we kill people far more frequently than any other nation on the planet. Uh, Even other places that have firearms that uh, with relative abundance, they still um, have less firearm-related deaths and injuries than we do in our country. So yes, we have to push back very hard uh, on those groups. We have to put in place sensible, rational gun laws. And by the way, most Americans agree with that prospect it's many of our elected leaders that haven't gotten on the uh, on the case and actually doing this, and and a lot of it is because of these very very powerful lobbies, primarily the National Rifle Association.
5: Um, what should um, listeners? What should they be doing? What should they be um, um, uh, in doing stepping up, pushing? What 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 do you want the public to be doing?
0: Well, I think the public should demand action. You know, I think. Uh, when we see all of these mass shootings, look, but we've had over 130 mass shootings this year alone, already. And the public needs to understand that um, the things that they agree with, particularly around criminal background checks, universal background checks, closing the Charleston um, loophole, those kinds of things are essential and they need to call their elected leaders, you know, write them a letter, uh, send them a text, Show up at rallies, you know, with your mask and be socially distanced because COVID's around. And I think it's very important that people speak their voice and let these elected leaders know that um, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. And and if they're not voting with your conscience and what you think they ought to do, then, you know,
5: get somebody in office that will. Um, Dr. Benjamin, we truly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Oh, thank you. Congresswoman Lucy McBath, of course, who lost her son, Jordan, to a crazed, deranged white man who did not like the music being loud, who's now in prison. Um, She was in the White House Rose Garden today for that announcement. Uh, This was her speaking on what happens when families see there are issues with loved ones uh, who grab a gun. Listen.
12: I met earlier this week with Mary Miller Strobel, whose brother Ben was a combat veteran suffering from depression and PTSD. Bennett lost 30 pounds after his tour. Returning home, his father asked him about his weight loss. Ben replied that he couldn't eat, and he said, I quote, it's just so hard out there, Dad. It smells like death. Ben was seeking treatment at a local VA hospital, but his family continued to worry about him. They worried that in a moment of desperation, Ben might end his own life. Mary and her father drove to every gun store in their area. At each store, they showed photos of Ben pleading with them not to sell him a gun. Ben Miller died by suicide. He used a gun that he bought at a local gun store. Too often, we are told that we must accept these tragedies. We are told that instead of changing our laws, We must have more active shooter drills, more first graders coming home with tears in their eyes, six-year-olds asked to decide for themselves whether they are more likely to survive by hiding in a closet or if they should rush the gunman, more mothers reading messages from their children as they are locked inside a school. And they're pleading, Mom, if I don't make it, I love you, and I appreciate everything that you've done for me. More vigils each and every day for those that we continue to lose. Too often we are told that we must accept these tragedies. I refuse to accept that. Millions of Americans across the country refuse to accept that. This Congress should refuse to accept that. We refuse to accept that because we have passed bipartisan legislation that will help save lives. Legislation like the Bipartisan Background Check Act, a common sense bill that will keep guns away from those who should not have them. And we have passed H.R. 1112, the Enhanced Background Checks Act, which would close the Charleston loophole. We've passed a bill that gives the CDC and the NIH 25 million dollars to study gun violence the first of its kind in over 20 years i've even introduced a bill that would give loved ones and law enforcement more tools to keep guns away from those who are in danger to themselves or to others tools that may have helped mary save her brother ben's life
5: i am not convinced that this nation truly gives a damn about the issue of guns, Amisha. Uh, I think this is nothing more than a sick and demented country who loves their guns more than they love their own god.
1: And and you know, Roland, you're not going to find any disagreement here. I think that it speaks volumes that our country has more guns and more people with access to guns than any other nation on earth. And we don't have those as a nation because people are afraid that their property is gonna get stolen, or they're afraid that somebody is going to rob them. We have them because white America decided a long time ago that they were going to protect their interests and that they were going to arise fear and mass fear in anyone who they believed was going to be or going to approach that interest or try to take it away. And that means we've, we've seen the proliferation over time with the fight against the civil rights movement. We saw the crazies during the insurrection. We see the threats that happen on a regular basis. We also know that no matter what, and to be honest, I thought after the babies were shot at Sandy Hook, we're talking about three- and four-year-olds, that we would see something happen at the federal level to see Republicans push so hard against it year after year after year. I don't know how many high school shootings have happened since Columbine, but we've seen so many. I was one of those kids who learned those drills in the third grade, how to hide, what to do if someone breaks into your school and you don't know how many gunmen there are. That is something that we should have to teach kids across this country. If you are black and brown, the odds of you growing up in a community where there this isn't episodic violence, this is violence that happens on a daily basis. That is very high. And I think that what we're watching with the Biden administration right now is them saying, finally, we're fed up. Enough is enough. The fever pitch and the temperature across America is that we need to do something about gun violence. Gun violence has increased over the years. It has definitely extrapolated not only for those that we see in these massive shootings, these mass shootings, but also in domestic violence. One of the largest issues with the domestic violence situations that we see across this country is that many women don't stand a chance because their abuser has a gun. It is one of those situations where we could have nipped this in the bud a long time ago. We could have closed the loopholes. We could have advanced common sense gun reform. We could have advanced it at the legislative level. We've seen the bills. The bills have been passed in the House time and time again. What we see is that he stalled in the Senate because the Republicans will not move and they won't move no matter what happens. And I think that what we saw today was a president who is leaning in not only on what he knows about this being a public health threat, but also leaning in on organizations from across the country, many of them black led but also other community organizations and organizations who've been fighting and been engaging in this fight for a very long time. He wants evidence-based solutions. He wants, again, to stop these loopholes that continue to pop up. He wants to be able to ensure safety across multiple communities. And we're not going to see a ton of Republicans get on board. Actually, we're seeing Republicans push for lawsuits right now before this thing is even fully, you know, it hasn't even had a day to settle on the nation. This is frustrating, but this is who they are. They do not care about gun violence. They want to continue to proliferate guns. They don't care who dies. They don't care about the stories. They don't care about the one that we heard, uh, that that we heard uh, Congresswoman Back talk about today. They don't care about the suicide levels. They don't care about the children who are being abused. They don't care about the women who are being accused. And they don't care about the mass shootings. All they offer is thoughts and prayers because that's all they want to give us.
5: Um, again, Greg, th- this is, this is, you know, and wh- who is so most enthused? All these white conservative evangelicals talking about the Lord and they pro-life and all this sort of stuff. I w- where are all these pro-lifers against that cop who shot and killed that pregnant black woman? They're pro-life.
3: They are pro-life. They're pro-white life. Guns are not a question of technology. Guns are a question of culture. A gun is, ex- is an extension of a white phallus. The technology for propulsory weapons was not exclusive to Europe. The Chinese had the technology for centuries. The Africans, uh, in fact, when they would trade guns for uh, to pressure Africans to enslave other Africans and put them in enslavement, the Africans would take guns and they would use them not against other Africans, they would fire them in the air to signal. They were like prestige uh, uh, pieces. The gun has a unique background in Western culture, as Amisha has said. The gun is part of a, an attitude that says, I am human, you are not, and I will take anything I want from anyone. And that includes women. Now, why is that important? What well, we just heard Amisha says, is very important. You know, we talk about this ATF nominee that Joe Biden has put up. I would encourage people to Google the name Ty Jones. In 2013, Ty Jones... Was the last director of the ATF to be confirmed in the United States Senate? There have been acting directors all ever since they made the uh, ATF position a Senate confirmable position. I guess it was 2006. I think they did. Ty Jones, ironically in the Obama administration, scraped through after they strong-armed Lisa Murkowski to come on the other side. Why is that important? Last year, Donald Trump. Had to withdraw his nominee who used to be the damn head of the Fraternal Order of Police because the white nationalists said he they weren't sure about him with gun laws there will never be gun law legislation uh passed by the United States Senate as long as the white nationalist party is in control there is no split in the Senate the white nationalists are in control as Uncle Joe Meacham the cosplay coal miner out of West Virginia or Kristen Sinema the only way we're gonna resolve this is to finally understand something very basic. There is no we in this country. They will kill each other. We're just an afterthought. You gotta break the back of white nationalism to get anything done in terms of government in this country. They will never confirm a ATF director. There'll probably be another acting director and any gun law legislation they think has any hint of passing, they will fight it to the last dog dies. And I said that not as a euphemism.
5: Brittany.
11: Brittany. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, everything that they've said, absolutely. Um, you know, it's like, on the one hand, I'm like, I don't want to belittle the this tiny effort put forth by Biden for, you know, even if one life is saved by the red flag legislation, I'm happy. I've lost my sister to gun violence. But this simply isn't enough for an epidemic. And I'm glad the administration acknowledged, at least they said it, that what's been put forth is not a substitute for any meaningful legislation to address the gun violence in this country. Um, but we know this is a difficult fight. It really is no fight at all, because the Republican Party, and to an extent, sometimes too, you know, if they're not willing to budget any And they don't even agree that this is an epidemic. That's the crazy part. How do you negotiate with folks that think and posture that way? I mean, even when you think, Roland, of the pornography of violence and weaponry, um, which is so prominent specifically within the GOP. It's essentially almost like one of their uh, one of their essential parts of their culture wars. So the GOP keeps its base in a large way by furthering a culture division, right? Whether that's gun safety, immigration, or more recently we saw it with, um, or we continue to see it with vaccines and COVID. So, you know, Republicans see guns as a winning issue for them. It's a way to stay in power by telling folks that the Democrats are gonna seize their weapons. With those politics, Bipartisan legislation. Um, I just, I just don't think, I just don't think it's realistic. I mean, AR-15s are part of people's campaign strategies. Um, they know that to brandish those guns um, is to show that they're, they're against the libs. So for them, even if you nudge an inch on this issue, it is to say that you're against the party. And what's crazy about all of it is, is it's literally just symbolism. It's not like they're brandishing guns with any type of reforms or saying that we, we want to have these guns, but here's how we're going to do it in a safe and controlled manner. That's not the question. It's literally a symbolism. It's literally used as a litmus test for the level of — for your conservatism, if you will. So, you know, we have to continue to push harder and demand legislative changes, because, quite frankly, you know, the gun is the symbol of America. The gun is the symbol of white supremacy.
5: This country loves its guns and they would rather or oh, what's his name? Um it was um it was a Charlton Heston, you're not gonna pry their gun out of my dead hand, whatever the hell. I mean, that's how crazy and deranged they are about guns. I don't get the fascination. I'd rather go play golf. I, I don't get the fascination with guns in this country. I seriously I shot a I shot a machine gun one time with the FBI Citizens Academy and I was like, is it? This what y'all excited about? I literally said, "This it?" That was no feeling. It didn't. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Got to go to a break. Don't get it man. all, Hi, Greg? Yeah, I said
3: because you, you are a man and you have your manhood is intact. See, so you, <laughs> you know, that's uh, what Martin Taylor I, Green too. Was looking for her manhood as well.
5: So. And and again, and, and folks, let me be real clear. Okay, if, if, you, if you want a gun, uh, look, there were a lot of black people in the Civil Rights Movement who had guns, protecting themselves in the woods of Alabama and Mississippi. Uh, Charles Cobb wrote the book, said this nonviolent stuff will get you killed. Uh, you had the Deacons of, Deacons of Defense. So, so the issue for me is not, oh, uh, absolutely not. The problem I have is when these people who are going like, oh, no, I should be able to have 500, 1,000 guns. Oh, they, they use the militia argument, and it's like, what the hell are you talking about? And guess what, those same people who are so rabid about guns, that's who's at the Capitol on January 6th. So be very clear about who you might align yourself with. You gotta go to a break. When we come back, y'all, we got some other news we're gonna cover, but wait until I show you this video of this absolutely idiot Leo Terrell on Fox News, decrying Jim Crow has been long gone, there's no systemic racism in America. If y'all want to see a minstrel show, we have one for you. Roll a mark and filter back in a moment.
6: Who needs a little love today? Who needs a love sent their way?
11: sent
6: their way? Who
11: needs love?
5: Who needs love? To me, this is what you're describing is exactly what urban leagues around the country should be doing, what other black organizations should be doing. Again, maximizing our capacity or maximizing our infrastructure to actually build capacity.
10: Yes, Yeah. no, we have to build on what we have. Because the sad part is, individually in many cases we don't have it but collectively we do and really that should be the point of black organizations how do we take our collective capacity put it together and then use that to really make a difference and you know quite frankly sadly You know, I haven't been doing this since I was 16. We're not nearly where I thought we should be. And that's why I said this year and going forward and the rest, we really have to do some bigger, bolder things, like we merged with a legacy organization named Grace Hill. The other part is we have too many not-for-profits. We have, you know, quite frankly, too much need for back office and infrastructure and PR, and we need to come together. There you go.
11: Hi, I'm Kim Burrell.
10: Hi, I'm Carl Payne. Hey,
11: everybody, this is Sherry Shepard. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
5: All right, folks, during an interview on last night's Newsmax, Newsmax Wake Up America program, Georgia's Governor Brian Kemp actually said voters standing in line for extended periods of time should order Uber Eats or Grubhub. Centers. People can bring their own water, their own food. That's accurate,
8: right?
10: Yeah, absolutely. They can order a pizza. They can order Grubhub or Uber Eats. Right.
5: Such a dumbass. Now, while there are several voter suppression bills being introduced across the country, no, more than 300, Kentucky has passed House Bill 574 uh, in efforts of expanding early and absentee voting. Kind of important. The bill includes measures such as no excuse in-person absentee voting on Thursday through Saturday in the week immediately preceding a primary or an election and sets the voter registration deadline two weeks before elections. It also includes the implementation of a portal that will give live no more, more that will go live no more than 45 days before a primary or an election and an automatic recount trigger for vote margins of 0.05% or less for constitutional officers, members of Congress, and members of the General Assembly. That, of course, became a controversial topic during a race between Biden and Trump. Also, today in Dallas, the Texas Right to Vote Coalition hosted a socially distant rally and press conference calling on Texas businesses to stand against statewide voter restriction bills. Brianna Brown, the deputy director of the Texas Organizing Project, spoke at that rally.
11: Let's do a roll call. ATT. Hey, can we? Southwest Airlines. Pepsi. Google, Apple, Salesforce have all have a presence here in Texas and they need to first use their voice to speak out in full support of our, of our efforts to enfranchise everyone and make
6: sure that voter suppression bills are a thing of the past. In addition, these businesses should cease all contributions to Texas elected officials sponsoring, supporting, or voting in favor of these racist laws.
5: Oh, also, uh, Mitch McConnell, y'all yeah, remember him? He said that a uh, cult y'all need to take the hell out. Uh, just don't, don't say anything. Just uh, let us do what we do. Uh, then the next day came out, uh, I, I said that and artfully, uh, that's not really what I meant. Uh, please keep sending y'all money. Greg Carr, uh, these folks are absolutely, uh, laughable and I love how they mad, big mad because folk are deciding what to do with they own damn money. This is real simple. If your asses don't want to be targeted, don't pass Dumbass bills.
3: That's true, Roland. And, and you know, the thing that is encouraging to me for me in this very specific instance is the more that we are informed as to what we can do. And this is again why everybody please support Roland Martin and Filter. It's, it's, it's critical. The more we're informed, the more we will understand our capacity to influence. What I mean by that very specifically, number one, these white nationalists have coordinated these efforts. These, uh, these bills are all connected to each other. I think, I I suspect one of their strategies is almost obvious, too obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. They've got to think of the metaphor of the bull and the red cape. The real threat is the matador, not the cape. The minute you realize that the cape ain't the threat and they see the bullfighter, that's when the bullfighter got to pull out the uh, sword and kill the bull. The red cape is the Uber Eats stuff. Oh yeah, you can order Uber Eats so you can bring out... Well, The red flag is the voter ID stuff. Important, but not as important as the heart of these bills. The heart of the legislation is to control the local elected officials. See, the white nationalists are going to hold on our power at all costs. If it means states' rights, fine. But if it means the state can come in, and this is what the Georgia bill does, and this is what the proposed Texas legislation does, they're going to substitute the will of the white nationalists where they're in control at the state level for that of the local elected officials. That's the real issue. Now, how does this relate to our power? See, it's one thing to to boycott domestically. Yes, American Airlines is in Texas. Yes, AT&T gave $574,000 to the last campaign, that shovel mouth racist Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas. But here's the thing, American Airlines has access to airports all over the world. This is why black people need to understand. This is not just a domestic issue. You need to start asking, particularly they're very competitive, but there are airlines all over the the world. In Asia, there are airlines in Africa, the Caribbean. You need to now contact your cousins and all your allies internationally and say, guess what? AA is not welcome in uh Oliver Tambo International Airport in Johannesburg. It's not welcome in London Heathrow. It's not welcome until y'all say something. See, stop thinking about this as a domestic issue. That's the only way white nationalism works is when it can shrink your vision to just your little place. These backers are playing on an international field and they've formed up like gold trying. It's time for us to do the same.
5: Well,
1: no, I, I agree with everything that was just said. I think that Dr. Carr put it perfectly. What we're looking at here is, um, it is a Republican Party that hoots and hollers and screams down over and over again against cancel culture. Meanwhile, they're trying to cancel boycotts. They're people who are trying to cancel in entire, you know, entire industries because they don't like that those industries are speaking up against the abuses against black people and civil rights. That is an irony in and of itself. But beyond that, I, I do think that it's important to acknowledge that these are global businesses and a lot of their funds comes from that global network. It's important to understand that the civil rights abuses in America also affect civil rights and how civil rights is seen abroad and how black people are seen abroad as well. There's a frustration that I have with this process because I do think that a lot of the information about the Georgia law has been has been lost and caught up in the, oh, people aren't going to be able to get water. It's beyond that. It's very important to recognize that removing the leadership power from the county, from local electeds, and investing it in, in 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 a in an appointed position, which is what they're trying to do. Invested in an appointed position from the from the governor's office that allows for them basically to uh, to change the results of an election if it goes away way they do not like. In addition to that, quelling the the sheer number that we saw in November of Black people who were able and eligible to vote, they are decidedly trying to shrink it in mass. And these are frustrating things. And no, nobody is going to stand in a line to vote in order Uber Eats hell. If the line is that long and you can wait 45 minutes for Uber to show up, there's a problem with your voting process already. I think that the governor of, of Georgia is a complete idiot in and of himself, but he's standing on this. He's laying his hat on this, and, he, and the Republican Party is fundraising like hell off of it. Let's not forget that they are raising millions. This is something that we need to, you know, hammer down on. And it's not just in Texas. It's not, it's not just in Georgia. I mean, the Republican party writ large, this is part of that larger culture war for them annihilating black access to the vote means that they stay in power, means that black people don't have leadership potential, means that black people don't see equity, means that black people do not get to change the face of this nation. And that's what they're fighting for. They're fighting for the exact same things they were fighting for pre-civil rights movement, the exact same things they were fighting for during Reconstruction. And they see a country getting more black and more brown by the day, and they are fighting to stop any type of any type of leadership potential, but also any type of progress on the front of equity. And I think that it's extremely disgusting. But it's not just Georgia. You see people taking this. You see Republicans taking this as basically a manual and handbook of how to do this in other places. And they are raising the funds to do it. Follow the money.
5: Um, Bottom line is here, uh, uh, Brittany. Uh, they mad that we actually have an opinion. We get to talk back now. I guess they ain't got that memo since Jim Crow ended.
11: Oh yeah, Jim- <laughs> according to our boy, Jim Crow is just, it's gone, it's over, it's done with. Um, no, I mean, I agree with everything that's been said. I- they, white supremacists, want to keep white supremacy alive and well, and they're going to do everything that they possibly can to ensure that that happens. And I think that they're not only upset that, you know, we're taking the reins role in as individuals, but I think it's a little ironic that Republicans are even telling corporations to stay out of politics, as if, you know, corporate entities are not directly intertwined with the political process. Like, make it make, it make sense. Um, it's it's unfortunate and I think that we're gonna continue to um have to fight because white supremacists are going to be white supremacists.
5: Uh that's how they roll, bottom line is but I just love how they just so mad that we now get to actually uh talk back, Greg, and uh don't have to bend over to their wheel. I just love how it just drives them crazy.
3: <laughs> Brittany's right. I mean, thank you for mentioning it, Brittany. I mean, that Citizens United case in 2010, they were all for. You know, you know what I'm saying? they yeah. all four corporates. Oh but now they really worry. And, of course, you know, the corporations have a really serious... I mean, Amisha, a man, that's, that's so true. I mean, these are global corporations. And the world is majority non-white, overwhelmingly non-white. They are, you know... A, a, imagine the propaganda value. I'm so glad you mentioned the Civil Rights Movement. Part of the reason they got, we got movement on Brown versus Board and all those things is because the Chinese, the Russians, and, and the, the Caribbean nations and the African nations coming out looking like, we don't want the United States as a partner. Look how you're treating black people. They are on the verge. They are risking it all. <laughs> you understand? And of course they're mad, but the people, the maddest are the ones who feel it all slipping away. And guess what, baby? It's all slipping away. So they just going to have to be mad, Roland. And I think they're going to get a lot madder.
5: <laughs> Don't you? Yeah. yeah. Suck it up because we ain't going nowhere. It is simple as that. All right, folks. On behalf of Black Futures Labs, HT Strategies conducted a poll of the black community's feelings on politics and justice. The poll included 600 voter and non-voter respondents, including LGBTQ immigrants, low-income and rural dwellers. One of the key findings of the survey was that satisfaction with the direction of the country is on the rise among black people joining us now is alicia garza principal for black features lab uh alicia how you doing
6: hi uncle roland how you doing i'm
5: doing good So let's talk about uh this survey uh and so uh for you got look you always got people out there complaining whining blah blah blah, blah. but uh based upon this survey uh black folks feel real good about uh these first uh few months of the biden harris administration
6: absolutely i mean look We all knew that black folks were in an untenable position under Donald Trump and his administration. And so it's not surprising to see that black communities are satisfied with the direction of the country, especially when we helped push it in this direction in record numbers and push these campaigns over the finish line. I think what's important for us to understand about these poll results that we did in partnership with Hit Strategies is that, yes black communities are largely satisfied with what's been happening in the first 100 days but we're still deeply concerned about the progress that we're making on some of the fundamental issues that are impacting our communities from relief and recovery from the covid 19 uh, virus to jobs in the economy to climate change to white nationalism and racial terror black communities as we see in the poll are feeling like our government is not doing enough to address these issues. And so while we're happy with what's happening now, we're saying that it's a first step, but that we have to go farther and build back bolder.
5: And that's the thing that I explain to people. Black people can say, I'm satisfied with the direction, but it does not mean that we still don't want to see stuff done.
6: That's right. That's absolutely right. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, every few years, right, we're talking with our communities and we're telling people you got to turn out and vote, that your vote is your voice and all of these things. But with black communities in particular, we have the experience of showing up to save the country from a crisis by saving ourselves, but not getting the results that we need from the government. And essentially, when you ask Black folks who are voting, you know, do you feel like you're getting from your vote what you thought you were going to get? Do you understand why you vote? People say, I mean, I do it because I know I'm supposed to, but not necessarily because it's that they're seeing changes in the rules that have been rigged against our communities for a long time. This is really important for the Biden-Harris administration to pay attention to. It's not enough that Black voters showed up to push you over the finish line for our own survival. We have delivered a mandate in that push that you address the issues that matter most to us. And you have to not just build back better because we know that even before the Trump administration, things were not good for our communities. We are counting on this administration to build back bolder. We think it's great that there is an American Relief Act, that there were $1,400 stimulus checks that were put out. We think that's wonderful. But at the same time, what we found in this poll was that the majority of people that we talked to, the overwhelming majority, were in favor of monthly checks until the pandemic is over. We were in favor of raising the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. We were also in favor of taking more bold and aggressive action on climate change, dealing with environmental racism, dealing with uh, reparations for communities that have been devastated by environmental racism. We also talk about in this poll that what we wanna see is more action taken on white supremacy and racial terror. And as we look at the events that have unfolded over the last year, what we know is that white nationalism is on the rise. And as of today, there has not been a sufficient response to protecting communities who are under attack.
5: Questions from our panel. Uh, Let's first start with, uh, Brittany.
11: Yeah, quick question. So, um, you guys are doing great. I'm excited. I do want to know, are you guys able to provide this data? Who, who are you
6: providing this data to um, so that they can see what our concerns are? Absolutely. Well, we've been in conversation with many different people in the administration trying to push this Build Back Bolder agenda and using these polling results to show that there is widespread support for this but I got to tell you Brittany the other thing that we're doing is organizing our communities to make our voices heard with those same people that we are getting access to and so I think for us what we need to make sure that this administration hears from us is that we didn't go back to sleep that actually the work just began right now and that they need to call on us to help shape their policies to change the rules that have been rigged against us for so long.
5: Let's go to Amisha.
6: Oh,
1: this feels like a game show. Um, Alicia, (laughs) thank you so much for the great work that you're doing with Black Futures Lab. I'm extremely proud of that and glad that you you have a vocal voice um, in the policy drive for this White House. I wanted to ask you, Uh, How does the research that you've done and that you're pushing drive with or jive with what we're seeing from the um, the lift every voice, uh, the lift every voice plan that we heard about on the campaign trail, but haven't really seen that much movement on since the administration took office? Um, What are some of the alignments that you have with that plan? And are there specific things in it that your research can actually point to and add some assistance to actually
6: moving that lever? Sure. I mean, look, when we look at our Build Back Boulder mandate. I'm going to tell you it is not a radical agenda <laughs> this agenda is literally setting the floor from which we need to begin these conversations and the ceiling you know is 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 what we're driving toward but we don't have alignment necessarily about where we start and so as a result when we start to talk about uh, how to deal with economic inequality uh, you know the lift every voice plan kind of really dives into things like home ownership, right? It dives into, you know, investing in HBCUs. It dives into some of the very traditional things that we talk about when we're talking about wealth and asset building. That's good. But the reality is that there are so many of us who are working in low wage and precarious jobs. So many of us concentrated in the service sector with uh, without access to unions. I mean, look at what's happening in Alabama, right? And we never seem to talk about how to address income inequality, how to address poverty from that perspective. Not everybody's getting to a place yet where they can buy a home. Literally, most people are trying to keep a roof over their heads. And so I, I think that the Lift Every Voice plan, right, is really a combination of uh, lots of enduring ideas about how to address uh, some of the most biggest challenges of our generation. But I would say that the Build Back Boulder plan is really taking on some of the contradictions within those solutions. And it's offering a concrete legislative roadmap for how it is that we make Black Lives Matter, not just in Congress, but also in city halls and state houses across the country. Sure.
3: Yeah, thank, thank you, Roland, and thank you, uh, Sister Alicia, for all your work and the work of, of the team uh, as well. You know, in reading, the, in reading the report, a couple of things jumped out to me, and I guess this, this would lead to my question. Given mm-hmm. the fact that it looks like about half the folk polled uh, make $30,000 or less, <laughs> and, um, you know, it's interesting, and, and maybe, what, 28% were polled when asked said that nothing, uh, the voting really doesn't change anything for me. I guess my question really is, how do you view what we need to do to help folk understand? I know there were a couple of questions toward this on the poll, but help people understand that no matter who is heading the executive branch, without a working majority in the legislative branch, this agenda will stall. I assume that the enthusiasm we're showing is tempered by the fact that we understand that, but how do we help people better understand it so that you know it doesn't look like, see, we voted for y'all and nothing happened. I mean, how do we help people understand? Really, it's really the legislature at this point that might be even more important than any, you know, than Joe Biden or Kamala Harris.
6: hmm Well, I, look, I think I want to zoom out from that question a little bit because okay. when we're talking about people feeling like their votes don't matter they're actually saying something very profound, which is that the people that they are showing up to put in the legislature are not moving their agenda forward. And that's something that we really have to sit with, especially for black voters who are turning up and turning out in every election cycle. For an entire group of voters to say, we are participating and not getting much from our participation, is very concerning to me for the state of our democracy. And it leads to a level of cynicism that government can fix anything. And so where that becomes complicated is that that cynicism also aligns with our opposition's agenda, which is essentially to dismantle government because they see it as a barrier to unfettered profits. And so this is the place where I feel like we need to dig in. I think black voters understand that there are processes that have to happen in order for laws to change. But I think we also understand, right, that political will is driven by a lot of things. Certainly, it's driven by numbers in a legislature, but it's also driven by the values of our society and what we think are priorities and who we think are priorities. And when we see that on both sides of the house, right, that nobody is jumping up to um, enact new laws for Black people, they're dragging their feet on holding white nationalists accountable for literally smearing feces inside of their own governing house, um, we have a big problem here. So I think the work that we're doing is engaging the two million black voters that we talked to in the last election cycle. I think a lot of what happens is that we tend to leave legislators to do what they do. We think that the last step in the voting process is to cast our vote and get somebody in office. But actually, that's just the first step. The next step is making sure that they are being held accountable to the agenda that you set for them when you put them in office. And so that's what we're up to at the Black Futures Lab and the Black to the Future Action Fund. And I will tell you that when uh, this next cycle comes around, we are paying very close attention to who it is that's been moving our agenda and who's been standing in the way of it. And I can tell you that if we have anything to say about it, anybody who's standing in the way of progress at this point will not have an office seat to hold.
5: All right. Alicia, guys, we truly appreciate it. Thank you so very much.
6: Love you, Uncle Rose. Thanks, y'all.
11: All
5: All right. Take care. (laughs) We've been frozen out. Facing an extinction-level event. We don't fight this fight right now. You're not going to have black on you. an open letter posted to Revolt.tv, Sean Diddy Combs joined the call of action to large corporations, including GM, to increase his ad budget for black-owned companies. This is what he wrote. If you are neutral in... First of all, he said, uh, the same feet these companies use to stand with us in solidarity are the same feet they use to stand on our necks. When confronted by the leaders of several black-owned media companies, General Motors, GM, listed my network, Revolt, as an example of the black-owned media it supports. While Revolt does receive advertising revenue from GM, our relationship is not an example of success. Instead, Revolt, just like other black-owned media companies, fights for crumbs while GM makes billions of dollars every year from the black community. Exposing GM's historic refusal to fairly invest in black-owned media is not an assassination of character. It's exposing the way GM and many other advertisers have always treated us. No longer can corporate America uh, manipulate our community into believing that incremental progress is acceptable action. Corporations like General Motors have exploited our culture, undermined our power, and excluded black entrepreneurs from participating in the value created by black consumers. In 2019, brands spent $239 billion on advertising. Less than 1% of that was invested in black owned media companies. Out of the roughly $3 billion General Motors spent on advertising, we estimate we estimate only 10 million was invested in black owned media. Only 10 million out of 3 billion. Like the rest of corporate America, General Motors is telling us to sit, shut up, and be happy with what we get. It's disrespectful that black-owned media companies only represent 1% of the total advertising market. It's disrespectful that distributors refuse to carry black-owned media brands in an era where our impact and influence is undeniable. It's disrespectful that the same community that represents 14% of the population spends over $1.4 trillion annually is still the most economically undervalued and undeserved, undeserved at every level. Underserved at every level. To repeat, 1.4 trillion annually, the almighty black dollar. We demand that corporate America reinvest an equitable percentage of what you take from our community back into our community. If the black owned community represents 15% of your revenue, black owned media should receive at least 15% of the advertising spend. The same way you understand the power of our dollars, we understand our power to take them away, from any corporation that doesn't give us the economic inclusion we deserve. We are prepared to weaponize our dollars. If you love us, pay us. Not a token investment, not a charity check or donation. The time is now. Radical change is the only option. You're either with us or you are on the other side. Let's go to our panel. You know, yesterday I talked about uh, Target announcing they were gonna spend um Two billion dollars by 2025. And I sent them an email, Greg, and I said, first of all, how much are you spending right now? Because you're trying to get to two billion by 2025. I said, then separate black owned media from the other black businesses. I said, so we can actually see what's your black owned media and what's your supplier development. General Motors, after we met with them, they said they were doing 2% with black-owned media. They announced that by 2022 they would be doing, they would be doing 4%. And then the goal by 2025 is doing 8%. We argued, why in the hell can't you do 8% right now? They responded by, again, listing these black-owned media companies that they're, they're doing business with. Here's Diddy saying, yeah, we one of them, but y'all ain't sitting here doing what you should be doing with us. Bottom line is this here. The only way to force these people to the table is going back to April 3rd, 1968, when Dr. King said we must redistribute the pain.
3: You're right, Roland. Um, and you've walked us through on several occasions how Diddy ended up with Revolt TV in the first place. Hadley it had something to do with their Viacom merger, right? And uh, we see Byron Allen saying that he's emerging from a meeting with Viacom over to some negotiations, no details were disclosed. But this is where it's critical for us to understand this at a deeper level. Just like I'm often, you know, often say there is no we when we start talking about America, Uh, there is no we often when we start talking about capitalism. See, capitalism has a racial dimension, but please don't mistake race for class. What do I mean by this? This movement, including Diddy's letter, is indicative of the fact that these, these corporations are a little nervous. But it's, it will be classic capitalism for them to pick a few black folk, and Revolt TV will be one, give them some subsidy and say, see, this is what we're doing. This is very important. This is why, I and, and, you know, I'll i be interested to hear uh, Brittany and, and Misha, both of y'all on this, because I'm too old, but because I'm a teacher, I know what the young people, a little bit of what they do on social media, and I'm dip my toe in Twitter. I am cracking up at all these mace pictures that are coming up in Diddy's feed, and people saying, dude, ain't nobody forgot that you're the one that don't pay black artists. So see, Diddy, black as hell if there's five cents to make. And what capitalists will do is pick out in the class structure a handful of petty bourgeois Negroes, which is why any demand must be equitably distributed around black media. It's those little women-owned companies, It's those little corporations. You know, write the check to Roller Martin unfiltered, but don't mess around and think because Diddy is right on this that he is no different than a clock that is always right at least twice a day.
5: The thing here, to Greg's point there, um, Brittany, about how folks try to pick folks off, is when we met with General Motors, we said it should be $200 million a year going to black-owned media companies, and we want a 10-year agreement with 5% escalators in the contract. That was on a Monday. Wednesday, because they had not set a meeting, now we met with the chief marketing officer of General Motors, but they, we requested a meeting with the CEO of Mary Burrow. <clears throat> they did not schedule that meeting. So an ad was taken out in the Wednesday paper. They got angry that there was a second ad and then canceled the Thursday meeting. On Thursday, General Motors announced their target goals of 4% by 2022, 8% by 2025. But Mayor Barra still has not met with us. Now, here's what they have been doing. And see, again, I'll be transparent. They have been calling around trying to meet with us individually. Of course, of course. Um, perfect example. They drastically cut the, fun- cut the funding of America Black Film Festival, almost down to zero. Well, a week after our meeting, um, this was posted by Jeff Friday in the American Black Film Festival. They posted this, go to my computer. Happy to have Cadillac GM Diversity return as a multi-year partner for ABFF and ABFF honors. Wow. Now, I know how much they got. And here's the deal. They could have gotten more had they negotiated as a collective. Hello. See, what we're trying to tell the other black-owned media companies is... Don't get picked off. Because, see, General Motors has not agreed to our demand. What we said is you're spending X billions of dollars. We want X percentage, 5% of that. We estimate it's come out to be $200 million. They say our numbers are wrong. We say, what's your numbers? They say, well, we can't give you for competitive reasons. Well, don't tell me my number wrong. You can't give me the right number. then we estimated that the black spin was 5 or 6 million they said your numbers are wrong what's the right number we can't check don't tell my numbers wrong you can't give me the right number so they've reached out to me for a meeting and here's my whole deal I'll meet but we still want the meeting with the CEO because my deal is why do we have to wait to 2022 Y'all, it's April 2021. The, the upfronts just started. Why we got to wait to April 2022 for you to get to 4% when you can do it right now?
11: Roland, <laughs> I have the left. You, you really almost have to laugh. I mean, and thank you for talking about this. Let, let me just say, you've been talking about this issue and bringing this important issue um, to the forefront of our community for a long time. And I stand with you um, on this and everybody who's speaking up about this issue, because it's time for corporate America to reinvest an equitable percentage of what they take from our community back into our community. We made and continue to make corporate America and the wealth it generates – Possible without getting a piece of the pie, and you know when we think of the way that GM responded, it felt so patronizing, right? Like, like you said, they want to tell you that all your figures are wrong, but don't want to tell you what the figures the figures are. They, you know, they want to send representatives, but they don't want to they don't want to have you speak to the CEO. They want to give you long term projections, like they don't have the money right this second to fund black owned media. That's a joke. See, it so makes. Think that they can continue to incrementally, right, incrementally give us the funds that are necessary is so, so patronizing and so offensive. But
5: but, but actually, guess what, Mamesha, they can.
11: Mm-hmm.
5: And the reason that they can is when black people play themselves small. See, and I, I, I've been warning people about this. And I'm trying to get folk to understand what we're talking about. I mean, for instance, y'all show the graphic. On Sunday, I'm gonna be hosting this uh, where there is a group in New Jersey uh, who are uh, doing this. We're gonna have this, uh, we're dealing with the racial economic justice in New Jersey. Uh, Reverend Alice Sharpton is gonna be speaking, uh, America's Richest African-American, Robert Smith is gonna be speaking, John Rogers, Aero Capital Management. Dr. David Jefferson is gonna be speaking uh, as well. Uh, Jennifer Austin is gonna be speaking. And what we're dealing with there is what we're trying to walk black people through in New Jersey is that y'all got a Democratic governor and a Democratic legislature. Mm -hmm. How much money are black people managing when it comes to private equity? What does private equity mean? Pension funds. Where does the money come from pension funds? Public workers. In New Jersey, probably half of those public workers are black and brown. So Wall Street, which is run by pension funds, Silicon Valley's money coming from pension funds, all of that has been driven by black workers Mm. and black folks are not able to invest the very pension funds as they money. Mm. So for the people who are watching me, who are sitting there going, man, why do you keep talking about this? Because I'm trying to show y'all how America is running. Stop talking about what white folks did to black people in slavery and look that you are in economic slavery today. Mm. This is simply slavery without shackles. Mm. The average spend of corporate America is 1% on black media. The average Silicon Valley company has 1 to 2% of black employees y'all are y'all hearing the consistent one to two, one to two. And so what they do Amisha is they then say, let's go cut a memorandum of understanding with civil rights groups. And let me be clear. I have respect for our civil rights groups, but the NAACP ain't a black owned company. (laughs) the National Urban League ain't a black-owned company. NAACP, Legal Defense Fund, National Action Network, Rainbow Push, I can go on, Black Lives Matter, Until Freedom, got respect for all of them, but not now one of them are black-owned companies. So don't run out and cut deals with black-owned, with black civil rights organizations. Give them... Dollars for tables. If you invest in contracts for black people, we can buy the own goddamn table.
1: You're, you're absolutely right, Roland. I think that you have perfectly laid out the roadmap of what we've seen for a very long time. This isn't a new strategy. Corporations have been doing this for a very long time. They have chosen to invest in in tables, but also to get their name on the back of a policy document in, in, in a policy book that is hand, handed out at said events um, for the Urban League, for the NAACP, for other for other you know legacy organizations. The frustration here, I, I think, and you, again, poised as well, is that the Black community has not really up against it, you have been someone who has spoken about the need to have investments in Black media for a very long time. And I think that the more we see them kick the can down the road, the more that we see these um, these these large scale uh, organizations, these large scale private sector companies who make a ton of money off of Black interests and Black people, and exploit a lot of a, a lot of us not only in the commercials but also in the the Black music that they use to drive the commercials and everything else that they're getting from our community, don't give back. And it's frustrating because I think that it's been framed as they're, you know, helping in these incremental crumbs. Again, going back to these civil rights organizations. But also, um, you said something else that I, I think needs to be elevated uh, when you talked about the the picking off of certain groups. What these uh, what these companies do and do well is pit black uh, black businesses against each other because they know that somebody is going to take the money. So they're going to have the calls. They're going to send out the emails. They're, then they're going to list those few that did accept. It. Because meanwhile, they are not trying to elevate to the, the amounts that they should be giving, the percentages that should be going out to black media, but also other, you know, black small businesses and things like that. This, these are conversations they're not having because they're not trying They want to do is elevate and showcase. Essentially, they want to elevate and showcase one thing. And that is a very small, very finite amount that they are giving out to uh, to to these groups that they are preconditioned to do. These aren't they, they typically give to the exact same people every time, and those people will talk about them in in grave terms and about how great they are. We've seen this again, time and time again. And now they're asking now black black people, black voters, are asking them not only to be more intuitive when it comes to stepping up against things like voter disenfranchisement, but also where does the money reside? Why are you not investing in these small businesses? Why aren't you investing in black people? Why aren't you investing in the engagement of our economy? Because it is important, it's one of those things, it is the key marker of the civil rights movement that is often forgotten about. We talk about education, we talk about voting rights, we talk about, um, we, we talk about so many things engaged around what Dr. King spoke about specifically, but we don't often talk about the economic goals that we have yet to meet. That marker has not moved the needle at all since 1964. So I think that this is something that we need to dredge down on and something that we need to hold these private sector groups accountable. for.
5: So let me speak to this right now, because, again, some folk don't know who they are talking to (laughs) and they don't know what they're talking about. So I got some smart ass on, U- on YouTube call himself Truth Seeker. Economic slavery correct, so why isn't demanding reparations your number one agenda? Mr. Martin? you are speaking truth about none of these black-owned companies, though fake corporate social activists. So, Truth Seeker, let me check your ass. Where are you going to get reparations from mm. the political process? How many votes do you need in the House? 218. How many votes are you going to need in the Senate? 60. Let's say the president vetoes it. How many votes are you going to need in the House? Hmm. Two thirds. How many you gonna need in the Senate? Two thirds. You are trying to fight for reparations in a political system where you don't have the votes. I'm not deriding that. I get asked this question all the time. Why isn't reparations my thing? That's what other folk are focused on. I am focused on the money that's sitting there right now. Let me further unpack it. Since you your name is Truth Seeker, I, you since you sought this truth, <laughs> I'm about to give it to your ass. <sighs> A letter was published to General Motors On Sunday, they were doing 2%. By Thursday, they announced we'll be doing 4% by next year, and we'll be doing 8% by 2025. Truth Seeker, can you please show me where you've gotten reparations in four days? Target announces we're gonna do 2 billion with black owned companies. Uh? Ask yourself, wait a minute. Did Target actually say specifically black owned companies? Yes. Target didn't say minority businesses. Target didn't say people of color. Target didn't say black targeted businesses. Target said black owned businesses. Why did Target do that, Truth Seeker? Because they got a letter from Byron Allen last month. Hmm. Specifically asking for a certain percentage for black-owned media companies. So, Truth Seeker, what I'm trying to get folk like you to understand is that if when we are fighting economic slavery there are different people who are fighting different battles. That's right. So when I'm hosting the event on Sunday, we are fighting for the pension dollars for private equity. We're fighting for the contracts, the same thing with the federal government. So truth seeker, while you say reparations should be my number one agenda, The federal government right now is spending billions of dollars. What we are trying to do is to get billions of those existing dollars, which can happen. It's called duality. It's called driving on multiple lanes on a highway down the road. There's a fast lane. There's a slow lane. I'm about what can we get right now? See, if everybody is in the reparations lane, who over here trying to get the pension money? Who trying to get the black advertising money? Who trying to get the architectural design money? Who trying to get the engineering money? Who trying to get the PR money? Who trying to get the construction money? Who trying to get the fiber optics money? Who trying to get the, uh, the laying of lines money? Who t- see? Some of y'all need to learn to stop playing checkers and play chess. Some of y'all need to learn how to play complex games and leave grown ass people alone who are trying to educate y'all on really what's going on. See, while y'all sitting here playing games on the pension fund side, what you don't understand is that's where venture capitalists get their money to invest in companies. So here we are as black folk, trying to convince the venture capitalists, why aren't y'all investing in black businesses when I'm gonna go to the source of the money of the venture capitalist? Because guess what? If we can get a piece of that pension fund money, then, and black, black private equity companies, are now investing the money, who now can fund black venture capitalists? Mm. Greg, I know you the professor, but sometime we gotta go to school with the folk uh, who don't quite know how everything works.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Roland, tell, look, more, than this is your you this is your classroom, brother, and we're we're grateful to, that that you've created this platform. And truth seeker might also want to know that uh, next Wednesday, there is a uh, the House Judiciary Committee will likely vote h r forty out of committee to be introduced on the floor of the h- House of Representatives. So while he's asking or she's asking or they're asking you to make it your number one priority, True Seeker, take a second to understand that, number one, we can walk and chew gum at the same time, and number two, there are dozens of millions of us in this country, and number three, some of them are actually pushing H.R. 40 through for a House vote next Wednesday. And uh, number four, tune into the House website and you can actually watch it. it may help you
5: with your blood pressure. Everything's moving. I, 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 I'm just trying to get our people to stop Acting like we can only do one thing, Brittany. Right. That we have to understand we got to be moving in different lanes. And that's what the whole point is. Well, I'm arguing there's money sitting there right now. Why am I going to bypass that trying to convince? J- Joe Manchin just literally said, he wrote, under no circumstance will I end the filibuster.
7: That's right.
5: So, truth seeker, how you going to get reparations from the Senate? Mm. That man has said, I ain't even going to break the filibuster for the John Lewis Act. That's right. So what I'm not going to do is go, oh, man, what are we going to do? No, no. In the words of Frank Lucas, I'm going to get that money that's there right (laughs) now. Final comment, Brittany. Go ahead.
11: Yeah, I mean you you hit the nail on the head, Roland, you 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 got it. Um I think uh, there are so many avenues with which we can pursue in order to obtain capital to achieve um to a- to achieve our aspirations. And you know, media is so, so powerful for this particular purpose. So I'm glad that you are not waiting and I'm glad that we're fighting to take take the money that already exists. Um mm-hmm. Yeah,
5: you laid it out, Rowling. You laid it out. Uh, Folks, uh, we're going to go to a quick break. Uh, Don't forget, if y'all get us on YouTube, remember, we only get 55% of the money on YouTube. Uh, So if you give us to us direct, we get the whole 100%. Uh, So Slick Chick, I appreciate that you join monthly. But here's the deal. Get the money to us directly, and then we get the whole 100%. So you can give via cash app, uh, uh, Venmo, uh, PayPal, as well as Zelle. And so, uh, please, uh, support us in that way. If y'all want to give on YouTube, that's no problem. I'm just letting y'all know that we only get 55% of money that comes through YouTube, not the whole 100%. Okay, we come back. Oh, my God, y'all. I got to show y'all crazy-ass white people and a brother who qualifies for crazy-ass white people. That's next on Roller Martin Unfiltered.
12: Your work keeps the community safe, but what keeps you safe at work? People
1: in public service face unique dangers, and we need the right training, resources, and staffing to stay safe. But how do we make sure we have what we need to stay safe on the job? We join a union.
11: Union members negotiate
1: for the resources we need to keep us safe at work and protections if we're injured on the job. Union members are better trained and better protected. Job safety. That's the union difference.
5: To me, this is what you're describing is exactly what urban leagues around the country should be doing, what other black organizations should be doing. Again, maximizing our capacity or maximizing our infrastructure to actually build capacity.
10: Yes, Yeah. no, we have to build on what we have because the sad part is, Individually, in many cases, we don't have it. But collectively, we do. And really, that should be the point of black organizations. How do we take our collective capacity, put it together, and then use that to really make a difference? And, you know, quite frankly, sadly, you know, I haven't been doing this since I was 16. We're not nearly where I thought we should be. And that's why I said this year and going forward and the rest, we really have to do some bigger, bolder things. Like we merged with a legacy organization named Grace Hill. The other part is we have too many not-for-profits. We have, you know, quite frankly, too much need for back office and Say infrastructure that, and PR. What? And we need to come together. There you go. No charcoal are allowed. i not
7: eating.
6: Why? You're I got lying. you, Carl. Yeah. Um, illegally selling water without a permit. On my property.
5: Whoa! Hey! remember. Oh, Give oh, me God. your here. You I'm uncomfortable. Ooh, y'all want to see a racist white man who's a legislator? This guy right here. South Carolina State Representative. Oh, he catching hell for not only his vote against South Carolina's hate crimes bill, named after... State Senator Clementa Pickney, one of the Emmanuel Nine, but also his reason why. This is what racist ass Victor Dabney posted y'all on his Facebook page and it's still there. So for all these fools who say, oh no, no, I don't know no racist, y'all see one right here. Show the graphic. Hello patriots. Mm-hmm. Many of you have asked me recently about my experience so far in the state house. What is it like? What are the issues being discussed? What bills are being worked on? Well, it has been very rewarding so far working with other dedicated conservative Republicans. People who believe in the Constitution and our way of life. Religious freedom, personal accountability, respect for others, less government, and the sanctity of our lives. But folks, to be completely honest, the number one issue, at least on the Democratic side, is the color of a person's skin. Yes, folks, I get reminded every day about the color. Go back, I didn't finish it y'all, you switched too soon. I get reminded every day about the color of my skin and my whiteness. Well, watch this. These people don't know anything about me other than I am a member of the Republican Party and my skin color is a lighter shade than theirs. But they label me as a racist. You are. I'm a, I am a racist because I am against killing babies. I am a racist because I believe churches should be exempt from any government mandates. I'm a racist because I believe strongly in the Second Amendment. While the Republicans discuss issues using facts, logic, and reality, the Democrats use emotional, irrelevant rants about the color of a person's skin. People should not be judged by the color of their skin or by the content of their character. I love how y'all wanna pimp Dr. King. Folks, this is really sad. Elected officials who are mentally and emotionally stuck in the 1960s, they don't seem to understand that the color of a person's skin does not define that person. But to them, the Democrats, it's all about skin color. Even now, as I write this letter, I feel somewhat sad and even a bit ashamed for the people of this state. It is such a gloomy message to report that bigotry and racism is alive and well here in South Carolina and is being nurtured and kept alive by the Democratic Party. Okay, go to the next slide. Y'all have it? Okay, are y'all, okay, okay, so here's the deal. Give me a second, because y'all actually pulled the wrong one. Uh, that's the wrong Facebook post. Um, y'all, th- what this fool actually said, uh, when I say racist, Bakari Sellers, a former state, state representative there uh, in um, uh, South Carolina, uh, sent me uh, this, let me see if I can pull it up, y'all, because uh, this man is, is, when I say he's stuck on stupid uh, people, let me pull it up, Victor Dabney, is this him? Yeah, this him. Uh, let me show you all, y'all you what this, what this white man posted. Uh, and people jumped on his page. I hope it's still on his page. Um, and let's see here. Um, okay, here it is. Come, go to my computer, please. Hello, patriots, as you read this post, please remember that I was elected to be by you to stand up for you, not to bow down to the left. So today in the state house, we will be voting on the so-called hate crimes bill. And yes, I'll be voting no. I'm 63 years old and have spent my entire life watching our society give in to the liberals. And it's never enough. Our entire way of life has been vilified by the left. It's our whiteness and our straightness that keeps getting in the way. No matter how much we give in to them, we just can't seem to get it right. In our colorblind society, we are constantly reminded that we are the problem because of our skin color. We are the reasons that blacks can't seem to succeed in our society. Y'all, he said, he actually said that we are the reasons that blacks can't seem to succeed in our society. We are the reason that black crime rates are 10 times that of others. We are the reason that the black family unit has been destroyed. And most young black children don't have a father figure in the home. It's all because of the light color of our skin. At least that is what I am told on a regular basis. So today I'll be taking a stand and saying that enough is enough. Because for sixty-three years I've been giving in, and it seems as though it is never enough. They always pick a new fight after every victory. Y'all, y'all, he y'all he he literally said this, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm laughing, I'm laughing. Uh, he literally said they always they always pick a new fight after every victory, because they can never be satisfied. This will never end. <laughs> this will never end until we stop giving in. This will never end until we make it in. It's time for the adults to take charge and draw a line in the sand. Amisha, while I'm laughing at this white boy, he goes, We are the reason blacks can't seem to succeed in our society you're guilty. Uh, We're the reason that black crime rates are ten times that of others. You're guilty. We're the reason that the black family unit has been destroyed and most young black children don't have a father figure in the home. Yo ass guilty. Dude, (laughs) your entire post is a white supremacist post. Thank you for showing your whiteness. We appreciate (laughs) it.
1: The sheer ignorance and gall. That someone who is an elected uh, an elected force in South Carolina, of all places, a place with its own very entrenched racist past and present day, is is extremely frustrating because he points to things that are direct influences that have come out of systemic racism and institutional racism. So it, it, it's interesting to me that he has eradicated any responsibility of white from white people of the things they created that have you know uh, that that have. Embedded this big swamp of economic uh, of the economic disenfranchisement for Black people, of lack of you know a strong com- community school system for Black people, of these of the pipeline system for black people that has put a lot of our black men in prison and in prison for things in many cases they weren't even guilty of. But in other cases, we're also watching the, the the extent of sentences that are so different for black men versus white men who are guilty of the exact same crimes. So when we have this conversation, and there's no point in having the conversation with that idiot. There just isn't. He believes what he believes and his feet are entrenched. But my issue with him in particular is because he takes this back 60 plus years. This is a man who's taken this back to the civil rights movement and clearly didn't see an issue during that era either. This is a man who's alive and seeing. He lived in the same state where we saw the Mother Emanuel Church get shot up. We saw that happen in this country. That was not 30, 40, 50 years ago. This is a guy who has seen, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement rise up after the killing of after the police killings of several unarmed black people. This is a guy who just chooses To not accept the fact that whiteness in America, and more, more so than whiteness, white supremacy in America, has caused so much trauma for black people and continually benefits off of said trauma, yet he wants to blame it on what it appears to be black people just, you know, not seeming to not be able to get it right. There's something wrong, inherently wrong with us. That's what I got from his letter. And uh, it's extremely frustrating because you do do this in a public forum. You know, it's always social media, but it's also <laughs> it, it's a sheer ignorance to history. It's a sheer ignorance to what we've been fighting against in this country for so long. And it's a sheer in his in his very words, this looks like what the Republican Party has been setting up for a long time. But here's a, but here's the deal. Black people will always be attacked.
5: But here's the deal, Brittany. It's not frustrating for me. This is a white supremacist saying. I am a white supremacist, damn you
11: black people. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised, and quite frankly, I'm, I'm glad that we just have proof now, Um, because, you know, Roland, the fact that he's been elected just continues to demonstrate that his ideology is alive and well, they think black people are pathological, the racism, the ignorance, the white guilt, the white tears, um, you know claiming that blacks can't black people can't succeed in our society, those uh problematic stereotypes, the lack of it, you know, it's not grounded in any historical um information. It's just it <laughs> I'm I'm not surprised. Um but I'm yeah, I'm just, I'm just truly not surprised, Roland. Um, racist folks like him always find ways to feel threatened by calls for justice because they're afraid they're going to lose something. And, I mean, we continue to see that reality. Um, this man has no real reason as to why he opposes the bill, and we know it's certainly not because hate crimes don't exist nationwide or even in his state, as Amisha pointed out. You know, in just 2015, we saw the Charleston trust- shooting. Um, anti Asian hate crimes are up 150 percent. We've seen all types of things that indicate that... that, that race is real, that uh, all the issues that he claimed are in fact related to you know, white supremacy and all of the racist institutions that they put in place since our arrival here. Um, but I'm, I'm in no way surprised. I'm just glad that we know who he is so we can work and get him out of here.
5: Hey, Greg, I keep saying, these white folks are so, in, these racist white folks are so emboldened in, in in the world of Trump. And look, they just make it easy to point them out no question. Well, it's unanimous tonight, as we would expect it to be.
3: We're all in agreement. We're grateful. Um, for me, having been born and raised in Tennessee, it's always those first 10 words of White Nash anthem: Oh, I wish I were in the land of cotton. Oh, Vic, 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 Vic Dabney from Sumter, South Carolina. The battle of Fort Sumter, the first battle in the Civil War. Oh, Vic down there in South Carolina. We understand, brother, you wish you were in the land of cotton. And in them next six words, the old times there are not forgotten. It's all slipping away, ain't it, Vic? So, Vic, when you say that, you know, we won't be satisfied, you're damn right. As you said, when, when Vic says, you know, every victory, uh, we, we've conceded every victory, which means, as you say, Amisha, he's not only talking about the 63 years he's been on the planet. He's basically saying every law that broke the back of white supremacy I would have opposed had I been alive. Every one of these victories, I wish I was in the land of cotton when I could have made Robert Smalls and Septima Clark and all them Negroes on the Sea Islands go out there and, and till my field. That's why they fought in the place I was born, South Carolina. I wish I was in the land. What is going on? <laughs> what the hell is going on? And so, yeah, I mean, this is the pus. This is the sickness as white nationalism dies. And ultimately, when anytime you hear the word colorblind, that means whiteness. Because the power of whiteness lies in its invisibility. So I'm glad that the team, Roland, finally posted, uh, showed that other Facebook post as well. Because when you say, when they say our way of life, forget anything they say after that defining it. What they mean is, I will defend whiteness until I die. That hit dog hollered. And guess what, dog? You're going to get hit again.
5: Well, speaking of a hit dog hollering, or let's just say a dumb damn dog, watch (laughs) this fool so-called civil rights attorney, Leo Terrell, uh, speaking on the White Supremacy Network.
8: Senator Kennedy, and I'll tell you right now, he's spot on, let me be clear. I have spent 30 years of my life as a civil rights attorney. There is no systemic discrimination. There is no institutionalized racism in America. Jim Crow ended with the civil rights act of 1964 and the civil rights act of 1965. Joe Biden is lying from the oval office. That's why he is constantly lying about this and is hurting people. Race is an issue that divides this country. And Harris, I've been saying this all for the last couple of weeks. Why is he doing this? And I I think is to not only divide this country, but to distract this country from the disaster at the border and also how he and the other Democrats are trying to bankrupt this country by spending more tax dollars. Because there is no racism, systemic, institutionalized, Jim Crow at all one final point you have a black mayor you got numerous look at this panel right here look at this panel we have diversity in this country jim crow died in
5: 1964. which one of y'all
1: won't it first there's just so much there that's wrong i mean you can point to jim crow in education you can point to it in criminal justice you can point to it in voting you can point to it in, um, in, in in every system of progress, housing, every system, the, the inequities in our healthcare system. Everything this nation is built on, every ticker point of success, we can point to the fact that Jim Crow has eradicated it for black people. That's not a thing of the past. That's a thing that we continually face every single day in this country. That's something that Joe Biden should be speaking out on. That's something that Republicans should be speaking out on too. It's not something that should just be The water should just be carried by liberals or by, you know, or or by members of the Democratic Party or just by black people. It's a frustration to me that, you know, and, and I'm not surprised by this at all, that Fox chooses a black man to get on and say something completely ridiculous while being flanked by Tommy Loren and Kayleigh McEnany. At the end of the day, the frustration here is that, one, he's buying this hook, line, and sinker because he's trying to sell it. And as a black man, he thinks that, you know, white people love it when they can get a black person to say something completely ignorant that supports their white supremacist notions. He just walked them straight through that, and you saw the glee in the circle of white women's faces, and, um, and and of course we saw it in the black women as well on that on that panel. The frustration that I have here is that he is negating everything we know. He is negating everything on the ground. He is negating um, he is negating all the research. This is just a flat out lie. And no matter how many conservatives be it whether it's Fox, OAN, uh, Breitbart, however many conservative organizations want to spew that same lie that white supremacy doesn't exist, that Jim Crow is over. And no matter how many black faces they get to repeat it, that doesn't make it a fact. We know what we live through. We are li- this is a lived experience that has never gone away. Got it. it's something that is baked into our democracy. Uh
5: Brittany, uh If y'all, if anybody out there considering hiring Leo Terrell for your civil rights case, (laughs) don't.
11: Roland, you literally took the words right out of my mouth. I'm like, he's a white, first off, he's a white supremacist mouthpiece at this point. That's why Fox has him there. We know that. I'm convinced that he's just there to collect a check at this point. And it must be from his fallout with the national organization a while back because I'm looking at this man's background. I'm like, so you don't believe that there's a racial issue in this country at all. But yet, for the greater part of your career, you've been, you know, part of the EEOC, a member of the Statewide Commission Against Hate Crimes, you've done pro bono work for the NAACP, and then all of a sudden you decided to switch to the Make America Great Again Party and become a Fox News contributor. What in the world happened to this man? What happened? When did he lose his sentence? Is it about the money? Because we know it's not truthful.
5: That, Greg Carr, is a consistent mis- minstrel show. When Leo Terrell ju- gets on Fox News, we can start the dancing.
3: Oh, that's funny, you are dancing, bro? <laughs> that reminds me, when we were teenagers and acted like knuckleheads, and we were torturing our band director at Hillsborough High School in Nashville, a brother named Willie Moore, musician, beautiful brother. One day, he was so frustrated with us, these young boys, these black kids, he looked at us and said, I used to do it because it's funny. Now I do it for the money. And so, you know, Leo, I agree I agree with you. He's doing it for the money. And, of course, it's the dance. And you think about it, I mean, yeah, de facto segregation went off the books and as you say amisha that's when the thing really hit the fan we were just talking about housing last night in my class with my law students we were you know remember that story you ran uh rolling about the how the they did the appraisal in florida yep and it came to say a brother who's in in class who's a third year law student out of california he's in california he pulled up uh he pulled up one from san francisco where they did the second appraisal, the white neighbor came over, and they valued it by a half million dollars more. Leo, we understand yeah. this between de facto and de jure segregation, and we understand you're doing it for the money, brother. And, and we understand why you get emotional, too, because it takes a toll when you got to be the one to dance all the time. But you know the one I was laughing about, Roland, I don't know when this one happened. When Geraldo Rivera went Puerto Rican, New York on him and he lost his mind because he was caught he called himself going to roast the sister, uh, our friend, the sister you interviewed. And, Jones. Charlie Jones. Char Jones. And Geraldo Rivera was like, When's the last time you been to the hood? And my man, you know how them, you know how them sell out Negroes get when you question their blackness. They get because look, I, I risked it all for this check. And you gonna question my he <laughs> he had a meltdown. It was
5: hilarious, bro. Well, since you decide to go ahead and bring that up. I wasn't going to bring it up. (laughs) Roll it. (laughs) Come on, computer, let's go.
7: We wish her the very best of luck with her policy. Uh, Leo, here's the question. She said, I appreciate the role of white allies in this movement of progress. I don't believe that they have the lived experience to lead a majority-minority city. Okay, so she said that. This will be an interesting social... Experience uh, or uh, try an experiment? That is the most insulting, racist
8: comment. You know what she's saying? She's saying, because you're white, you don't understand what we as black people go through regarding crime. That makes the assumption then that Joe Biden doesn't know. To say that she is basically in a better position because she's black is insulting is racist and it makes no sense whatever i reject that argument hey, Leo, that you have was to the be last a time you were in the ghetto wait, wait, a the wait. wait a second wait a second what well, how, how saying dare you, that you say don't, that, sir? It, she, I was born—I I, lived right near the Coliseum. That's where I was I'm born. From at, UC, okay? Next I'm from Avenue C, dude. I'm from Avenue C. How UC? dare you say that? That, that you know knowledge nothing that about me. I have you, is helpful. How dare you say that? That knowledge I have is helpful. Insulting. That knowledge that Insulting. I have from Insulting. my background what is helpful. What are you trying to drop? Harada, do you to think— Let try her try. Let her try. What are you trying to Let her try to— how Let her try you? a How kinder approach. That? Maybe you know, it'll Bill, work. You know he, we certainly have You know a... what Bill just oh, accused me with of? with the daring. Okay. Bill, right. Bill right. Hammer just accused. Bill, you know what Haraldo accused me of? He accused me of living in a particular area that I don't understand. How dare you? I've been a civil rights attorney for 30 years. I have fought against discrimination right, for 30 years. Okay, Check your Jesus on How earth? dare you? Right, listen, I, fabulous,
7: I love you How dare you? Guys, hey, we started out in a moment of peace. That moment is fleeting. We'll try again next week. Thank you Leo.
5: The idiot said I have fought against discrimination for 30 years. But <laughs> on the other show there's no systemic dick. See, <laughs> see what happened? See what happened when you start doing the menstrual show? Sometimes you forget the words to the song. <laughs> and you just start making up words to the song and uh Leo Terrell I've invited him as well as that punk ass uh, Ver- Vernon Jones out of Georgia. <laughs> Neither one of them will come talk to black people. Vernon, bring your ass. <laughs> I'll be happy to host you. Then I'll be happy to roast you. <laughs> Appreciate it, Brittany, uh, Avisha, <laughs> uh, Dr. Greg Carr. Thanks a bunch. Uh, hey y'all, let's do. I want y'all to do me a favor. Now bring the pound back up. Uh, last week, we told y'all about uh, Reese having a baby. Uh, prayers for Erica. Erica was in a severe accident, uh, suffered uh, brain trauma. Uh, she, is, she is going through rehab. She's not gonna be with us for a while. Uh, and so normally we have her every single Thursday. And so, uh, Erica, we, we miss you. And so we wanted to shout out. So Prayer Warriors, we want we, we y'all to lift up Erica and be in prayer for her. We're glad that she is still with us. But uh, uh, it was a really bad accident. So uh, but we're glad, glad to see uh, that she's with us. And so she's not going to be with us on Thursdays for, for a while, folks, while she recuperates. Uh, but we certainly be thinking about her uh, every, uh, every single Thursday. So I just want to let y'all know that. So we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right, folks, that's it for me. Don't forget tomorrow. Um, y'all don't want to miss the conversation tomorrow when I talk with Michael McMillan who runs the St. Louis Era Urban League. They are doing some amazing things. You you want to listen to this. What he is doing is what Urban League chapters across the country should be doing in every single one of their cities. Don't forget to support us on Cash App, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered, Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered, PayPal.me forward slash R Martin Unfiltered, rolling at rolling at martin.com on Zale. Folks, that is it. Uh, I will see y'all guys tomorrow. Thank you so very much for joining us. Have a good one.
12: I'm Katya Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.